Music has an incredible ability to proclaim the soul's language beyond what mere words can speak. That is what we seek as we invite our guests to share their song of the soul. Be it joy and laughter, sorrow and tears, awe and insight, or deepest devotion, as we visit and listen, we are all part of a spiritual voyage called Song of the Soul. Today's Song of the Soul guest is Meg Hutchinson, and this is the second time she's graced our program with her presence. Since Meg last joined us in 2012, she obtained her Master's of Divinity as the only Buddhist in her class, and has added work including as Asal Dula Services, still continuing to produce the amazingly deep and moving music she is well known for. Her creds include the Kerrville New Folk Award and awards at the Rocky Mountain Folks Fest, the Telluride Troubadours Songwriters Showcase, and more. There are some rich bonus excerpts on the NorthernSpiritRadio.org website that we couldn't fit into this broadcast version, so check those out. Meg's open heart and compassion shine through her work and playing as Meg Hutchinson joins us via Zoom from Boston, Massachusetts. Meg, it's so wonderful to have you back after 11 years for Song of the Soul. Such a treat to be back. I have such good memories and was just revisiting our conversation from so long ago and excited to see what has changed and what has stayed the same in that time. And because we're doing this on Zoom, we actually get to see each other. Last time it was just auditory. And so I had never actually seen you. I've seen pictures, of course, but it's different being able to see you. I feel a little bit even closer. And I felt so close to you after that interview back then. I remember saying to you how special it was because you don't always get an interview where someone's really asking you about the spiritual part of the music. And I remember saying to you, that's the essence of what it's always been to me. But you don't usually get space for that in the average 15-minute interview. I've had suggestions that I should get some of my interviews up on things like TikTok. And I'm just going, no, wait a minute. There's just no way to do justice to the spirit center of things if I'm going to try and cut it so that it fits in you know, 30 seconds or whatever. just doesn't make any sense to me. But then you with your Zen Buddhist leanings, I hope I correctly say that, and my Quaker leanings, give it time, be present, clear out the detritus. In Quaker parlance, sink down to the seed and stand still in the light. What are the phrases you use out of your practice? That's a good question. I've gone completely blank. <laughs> you, just, you go completely silent, of course. <laughs> I mean, I've been studying in the Tibetan Buddhist tradition with a Tibetan Lama here in Boston since 2009. So, yeah, I, I guess silence is a good response, but <laughs> it is about finding the inner space. I was wondering, back in that interview, again, it's back 11 years ago, you mentioned depression, you just in passing, you didn't say much about it. But I was wondering if your Buddhist practice, the centering, the, the looking inside, if that actually had an effect on your bipolar issues. Absolutely. And you know, it, bipolar is the new term, but I tend to use manic depression because it's a term that to me feels more precise. 
But like I said, I hid the illness for nine years until I couldn't any longer. And then for the first three years of my recovery, I was relying on Western medicine and therapy and things that to this day are vital. But then I met my Buddhist teacher three years into that. And that's when I can say healing started. You know, what was happening before was stabilization, but it wasn't healing. And when I met my teacher, I started to learn how to sit still in the darkness. And that was terrifying because I didn't want to go there ever again. Like I was trying to run away from it. It had been so life-threatening to me and so terrifying. And and in the presence of this teacher whose essence grounded the whole room, I started to trust that I could sit still with all of that fear. And I had been, I think, in those early years kind of toggling between, you know, there's this wonderful Buddhist quote, because the thought of achievement and abandonment is not possessed, the absence of the harm of hope and fear is amazing. And I realized that I was living between these poles of hope and fear. And when I sat down in the presence of my teacher and my community, I realized that there was a third option. You know, there was an option to rest in a space that was not hope or fear, but was like a ground of being, a space where I could get comfortable with my mind and start to recognize that my mind was an ally, that I, you know, I had a brain illness, but the mind was an ally. The mind was going to help me. And that, you know, we call it mental illness, but I think the mind What Buddhists teach me is the mind is essentially well. You know, we have that clear blue sky and the illness comes as these clouds and we might start to identify that we're only cloud. And I think in the Western model, we dig down, we dig down in therapy to the roots of the illness. And what I learned from my teachers, oh, I'm digging down to the roots of my wellness, connecting with that blue sky. And it was very clouded. It was very obscured, but it wasn't law. I think you released your first album was probably a live album that you released any given day. Maybe there was something before that. There were two before that, but they're tucked away. (laughs) Why are they tucked away? Were they too manic or depressive or both? I never use it as an adjective, but they were, they're just early. You know, they're just, I was just a kid and I was finding my voice and they're They're rough around the edges, but they're very heartfelt. And I've actually recently asked my dad to upload them so I could hear them again because I don't have a CD player. And I felt a lot of tenderness for that kid now that I've had so much space. But it was more just that I hadn't found my voice, you know, for I think for a while I was embarrassed at this kid that was so full of conviction, but hadn't found my real voice yet. Well, you've got a lovely voice, and I think people want to hear it singing as well as talking. How should we start out your Song of the Soul today? Let's start with Everything More Beautiful, because that's a song from that year that we last spoke. This album, Beyond That, came out probably a few months after our interview aired, so we didn't talk about that album yet. But this is the closer song on that album that came out shortly after that. It's absolutely lovely lovely, lovely song. It it so touches my heart. It was so close in time to that. As people listen to the song, they may have the same question that I have. Everything more beautiful, the quieter I become. I wasn't sure which was the cause and which is the effect. That is to say, 
as everything becomes more beautiful, I become quieter, or because I'm quieter, everything becomes more beautiful. I realize it could be both, but what was it for you? I, it's so clearly a prayer that you're singing. It definitely works both ways. But for me, what I noticed is that I'd been so full of noise and busyness that I hadn't, I may have even shared this last time we we spoke that in those early years as my teacher, as I started to slow down, this place I'd been walking by the lakes just started to be more and more beautiful. And I, at first I was like, gosh, this place is just getting more beautiful every day. I kind of wanted to stop other people and say, hey, have you noticed? It's getting more beautiful here. (laughs) And then I realized, no, I'm just finally looking around. Like I used to go there and I would be hiking and I'd be in my own mind. I'd be in my own struggle and inner chatter. And suddenly as that was quieting, I was really looking around and going, it is so gorgeous here. Get ready for a gorgeous song, a gorgeous prayer of the Spirit, I think. Gratitude is the greatest prayer we can give. Everything more beautiful. Lay down everything 
so very blessed to have Meg Hutchinson with us here today for Song of the Soul. Back in 2012, I first interviewed her and was instantly struck. I I can't remember all of the music from every person I've interviewed in the past 18 years, but you stayed with me absolutely completely since that time. Her website is meghutchinson.com. Any questions on spelling come via northernspiritradio.org. It's from her album, Beyond That. Was there ever a time when you were shallow? (laughs) No. (laughs) I've always been in the deep end of the pool, for better or for worse. Sometimes I was floundering in the deep end, but I don't know. That's where I've lived. You put it to such good words in your songs. Why don't you share another song? And I'm pretty sure we'll find some of that pain and healing. So let's go to Scattering My Ashes. And I want to go there next because I think everything more beautiful, there was a way that I thought I had arrived. I listened back to a little bit of spiritual pride, which you have to be careful of. And I think I was... You know, I I recently learned something very cool about butterflies, which is when they're caterpillars, they're already building what's called imaginal discs, which are the little cells that have the memory of what the full butterfly will be. But when the caterpillar goes into the chrysalis, it essentially turns into goo. (laughs) It turns into what they call a protein-rich soup. (laughs) And the only thing that survives are the imaginal discs, which are maybe like 50 little cells that remember what the butterfly will be. And I think when I listened to Everything More Beautiful, I was kind of thinking, hey, I kind of made it to the butterfly phase, you know, as if it's a linear thing. And Scattering My Ashes marks what happened next, which was a period of very intense pain that I went right back into the chrysalis, like right back into the the goo. So let's listen to that one. Again, Meg Hutchinson here today. 
and we're going into the chrysalis with scattering the ashes. Colors go out of the world so easily, so easily. Laughter goes out of the world so quietly, so quietly. There's no such thing as blue. When you're there, there's nothing left to see, nothing left to see. In my dream, I'm scattering my ashes on the hill. In my dream, I'm scattering my ashes on the hill. I say it's better to practice dying It's better to practice now before I die It's better to practice dying It's better to practice now before I die Let me tell you How quietly it returns You won't even notice Suddenly, the sun is in the woods. I'll never understand it. How my brain takes it away, gives it back, and takes it away, and gives it back. I'll never understand. I'll never understand. So, how does a story go? There's no storyteller, no storyteller. Mm, I want to be a story liver. Oh, let me be, let me be a story liver, story liver, story liver, story liver. Thank you, Meg Hutchinson, for sharing that. The ability to be so vulnerable, honest, to, in love, 
bring forth the pain. Some people bring forth pain with anger and destruction, and you don't do that, at least I don't live in Boston, so I don't know. Maybe you, <laughs> maybe you go on a rampage every other day. But I'm kind of doubting it because I think you have a way of looking at your ashes. You mentioned in here as if it's a dream. Was there actually a dream connected with this? There was. There was a beautiful dream. So, you know, I went to divinity school after that last album came out. And then there was this big span where I was in school and I wasn't writing anything. I wasn't performing anymore. And this dream happened. I actually, I graduated in 2018 and it would have been a time of rejoicing and having accomplished this big thing. And instead I had one of the worst depressions of my life that summer. It was striking because I thought, man, I'm doing everything right. Like, how can it, how can this happen again? You know? But in it was a deeply valuable, humbling time because, like I said, I had to go back into the goo. You know, there was a, a very tragic death in our family. There was a lot of pain. I had two knee surgeries. I couldn't do yoga. I couldn't sit comfortably in meditation posture. All these things that had been helping me feel like a butterfly were taken away. In that summer, I just got reduced to all I could do is lie in Shavasana. <laughs> <laughs> so I just said, this is what I'm going to do. And I have a choice. I can fight this, you know, like you would fight a rip current, but I don't think I'll survive if I do that. Or I can surrender and figure out, can I find the tenderness? Can I find the mercy for myself to just be here in this pain, to not do anything, you know, like the, the early me would want to force my way through. But I think in midlife, there's a pain that sometimes we have to find a new way of moving by just the surrender. And I had a dream in the middle of that, that I was walking through verdant green hills in Ireland, which is where my dad's side of the family is from and where a lot of the pain that I inherit comes from that lineage and I was walking through these hills and I was holding a basket and I was scattering ashes and I didn't know whose they were until someone, a stranger came up and picked up this little piece of bone. And I said, you can leave that. I'm scattering my own ashes. And I walked down the hills after that. And there was this little mantra that I woke up from the dream saying, which is, there's no story left to tell. There's no story left to tell. But it wasn't a scary thing. It was a something needed to die, right? That first half of life self was that hero was dying. And I had no idea what was going to happen next. <laughs> going to divinity school, I think, must have also fueled some of this. My understanding is to get you into divinity school, they first have to take you down to zero. Oh, yeah. It was all about clearing space, if, especially if you're going to go into palliative care and hospice work. What I realized is I can't sit with the pain of others if I don't know the full extent of my pain. And I can't sit with others until I've cleared some space. Like you, you don't show up with your pain at the bedside. You hopefully create some space where that pain was, where you can be Ideally, after those three years where you really, I mean, I gravitated towards all of the family systems and all of the trauma classes and everything I could figure out to take an inventory of that pain. And you're right, it gets you down to ground zero. 
It does. You know, for some people, it's a theological deconstruction, you know, but I wasn't, I was there with the theist being one of the only Buddhists. So my work was slightly different, but very parallel to what other people were having in their theology being pulled all apart. And it was, <laughs> it was a lot. <laughs> Let's go on more of the music of Meg Hutchinson. Let's listen to uh, You Can Just Be Music. And this is from the album All the Wonder, All the Beauty. I'm wondering at which point you felt clear that music could play this different role in your life. Back a couple months ago, I interviewed Annie Caps. Her music, she sometimes has been described, she, she and her husband Rod, as folk therapy. Mm. Music is so good for processing things within us. And yet at some point where you decided music could just be music, what point was that? Where do you think you reached that point? I think in any marriage, there are long, desolate times. And in my relationship with my creativity, there was a long time where we were sleeping in separate beds. It wasn't what I wanted. But I think in any marriage, there are times where you lose touch with each other. And that happened. And at first, I thought it was happening because I was the quieter I became, right? I thought, well, that's my last record I'll ever make. I don't need to say anything else. And everything more beautiful, the quieter I become. And then that quiet went on for a long time. And I started to really miss creating, but I couldn't contact it. Something had changed. And I became very worried that I didn't know what it was. You know, you, you wonder without some of the storms of illness, you know, the higher side of manic depression, there's kind of a flight of ideas, right? There's a, not mania, which is destructive, but there's something before that, the hypomania that creates synaptic activity that you don't have when you're properly treating the illness. So I became fearful. It was never a decision of, you know, I wanted to live, right? So I wasn't going to dabble with that. But I did become fearful. Can I access it again? You know, I would sit down and I would get these little scraps, these little pieces. But I was talking to the song. The song just wasn't talking back to me, you know. And so I collected these little little trinkets, these little gems, but I couldn't finish anything. And I, I started to wonder if I'd ever be able to. And then two years into the pandemic, working as a palliative care chaplain, I hit a place that we all hit of deep fatigue and what do I need? And I asked my soul, what do you need? My soul was very clear. It said, I need you to take a sabbatical. I need you to go to Ireland, drive the wild Atlantic way, weep a lot, just this collect grief that you're holding. <laughs> you know, the grief in my family. I had had two losses in my family in that pandemic time. And then my soul said, then I need you to come home and make a record. <laughs> and I just thought, well, how am I going to do that? I don't, I can't finish anything. And then my soul said, do you remember how it was when you were a kid? You played music. You didn't work music. You played music. And I sat down and I thought, I just need to play. It's not about, this is not a job. This is not something I need to go out and promote. And my soul needs to play. I don't need this to be even all the other things it's been. I just need it to be the joy that it was when I was a child. And so without permission, I suddenly stopped feeling blocked and just like rekindling a marriage. I think it was just like, let's have fun. <laughs> you know, let's, <laughs> let's play. Let's just play. I don't care if it's good. Let's just play. If I can't find the words, 
as my brain feels maybe a little different, well, the music's there. The music can help. The music can, and it just it just came back and in a different way. I let it be what it is now, and I just played. It felt so lovely to say to music, "You don't have to do anything for me. Let's just play." And the song is "You Can Just Be Music" by Meg Hutchinson. You don't have to be my medicine. You don't have to put things right in my head again. You don't have to earn me my daily bread. You don't have to hold me in my bed. You can just be music now. This world 
It may not be her daily bread, but the music is as deep and as moving as ever when Meg Hutchinson opens her mouth and lets that beauty roll out of it. You Can Just Be Music is that song, and it's from her latest album, All the Wonder, All the Beauty. And you can find her on meghutchinson.com. All these links, of course, that I say to you over the air, they're on northernspiritradio.org, along with all of those from my past 18 years, the Song of the Soul and Spirit in Action programs I've done. So northernspiritradio.org is the central place to find all those links, the songs you want to track down, the guests you want to track down, the radio stations where you're listening to this. There's between 35 and 45 radio stations across the nation carrying my programs and so you can find where they are via our website as well and of course leave comments for us we love two-way communication and you can make a donation that's how we support ourselves our daily bread comes from your donations not from corporations not from government grants but from you the listeners because that's who i want to serve with this program And please remember also to support those local community radio stations. Such a vital alternative. Now, let's get to one of your songs, not one of the Bee Gees. What should we share next? So we could listen to I Say It Now. And give our listeners for Song of the Soul some idea of where this comes from, which point it comes in your life. This is one of the the harder songs to sing. It's one of the, like I said earlier, it takes a long time for us to go all the way back to the pain. But there's a beautiful quote by Stephen Levine that in the middle of that summer where I was just lying in the rip current, he says, whatever limits the entrance of awareness limits healing. Allow awareness to go where it may never have been before. You have to be ready because it's kind of an earthquake. But I think that's what this song was. It's going all the way back and it's saying, What is the intergenerational trauma and what is the shame and what is the pain that I actually am only now strong enough to remember? Let's go on that journey with Meg Hutchinson. I say it now. My earliest memory is watching sunlight in the trees. My earliest memory is watching curtains in the breeze. When I come to the end I go back to these things I go back to these things I go back my sister's five and I'm nine riding bikes in the evening tearing down those rows of corn laughing racing toward the sun we were so beyond all harm With our young hearts and our strong arms Our young hearts and our strong arms Before all harm I lived in the quiet I flew up and away Right out of my body Zero gravity day No, no, no To live, I say now. 
I sat with this song, Meg, I felt very unclear about what I wanted to ask you about it because the no, no, no is center in this song from my point of view. So part of me wants to ask you what you're saying no to. I mean, you can use general terms like intergenerational injury and so on, but I have a feeling you have a very concrete image in front of you that you're saying no to. Is there anything that you care to say about that? Thank you for asking it that way. I think this is an example of a song that I want to belong to each person in their own way. It's an invitation, I think, to say, I'm with you in that private grief. I'm with you in that trauma. There are times where it makes sense to speak explicitly of it, and there are times where I think it's enough to say, 
so many of us as children could not protect ourselves when we needed to because we were children. And then you can go back and you can become that protector to yourself. And you can also recognize that some of the shame we carry is from the pain that was inflicted on the people who made us, you know? And so we're made not just by the love that passes down through these generations, but we're made by the pain as well. So I think of it, you know, because I've inherited my grandmother's guitar and my uncle's guitar, and you just have to see where the guitars go in the family to see where the bipolar illness also. (laughs) (laughs) Beautiful. Guitars and bipolar. (laughs) I'd never thought of it that way before. (laughs) Creativity, you know, and mental illness are very connected. But what they say about playing a wooden instrument is that the longer you play it, the more resonant it becomes the actual wood opens up over time and the tone becomes more beautiful. So I think in healing trauma, that's how I picture it, whether it's singing or sitting still. I'm not just changing that guitar, but also that what we carry in our bodies of our ancestors' pain, that it can become more resonant. So while there's a definite personal specific part for me in this song, I also like to keep it open to this general story of we don't talk about, I mean, this whole album is things we don't want to talk about. Grief, mental illness, midlife, (laughs) (laughs) trauma. But hey, that's, that's, if if you're willing to say it, if you want to talk about it, like Stephen Levine says, you know, where the awareness goes, you can finally do the healing. So folks, two books of poetry by Meg Hutchinson that you can check out as well as eight and more recordings that she's done. And I say as more. By the way, you just released an album this year. It's a long time in coming. I'm so glad. I mean, we're, we're getting to see some of the riches of it today. What is your livelihood these days since music doesn't have to be your daily bread? Is it your work with people who are not in good health? It is. I'm a a hospice chaplain. So I'm doing primarily home hospice and then some folks who are inpatient. So I was palliative care chaplain in a big hospital in Boston through the pandemic and then took that sabbatical and then returned to home hospice, which is where I'd always pictured I would end up in a long career. That's what I had. My grandmother's passing 17 years ago had really instilled in me and it's absolutely where I belong. You know, it's powerful, powerful time to accompany people to that threshold and feel like I'm certainly aligned with where I'm supposed to be right now. And now that I'm playing music again, not working music, but playing music again, I feel that I have both elements of what my soul song is, where I'm supposed to be in this particular chapter. Well, your music really feeds my soul, and I would just be so shocked if most of the listeners who are tuned in today to Song of the Soul are not being fed in the same way. You really go deep and beautifully and inspirationally. Let's do a little bit more inspiration for folks. What do you want to share? So let's close with All the Wonder, All the Beauty, which is where the title of this album comes from. And I think in essence, 
what to me midlife is, this scattering of the ashes. It's unlearning everything we've been told in the first 40 years, which is that it's all about the self. It's all about us, you know, your career, what you're doing. And and I think in that death of that first half of life self, Richard Rohr talks a lot about that, the first half of life self dying. And in that is this opportunity to then start to go, well, what am I here for then? You look around and it's just the wonder and the beauty and the compassion that becomes so much more compelling than the building of the self and the career. And so there's a deep sense of wonder that just seems to become more, you know, when I look at the James Webb Space Telescope images and it's staggering. The mystery of this is staggering. And I think living with an illness of the brain where you, you're given the depths of the darkness and then you're given this regeneration of returning to the joy, you know, it's a small death. Even when you're treating the illness well, you're still having to wrestle with that at times. And the gift of the illness is that when the beauty's returned to you, because depression isn't sadness. Depression is a, a dullness. It's a loss of connection with the vitality, the life force energy. And when it returns, when you can smell and see color again, and it's astonishingly beautiful. And that's been one of the gifts of the illness for me is it carves out a lot of depth. And sometimes you're not sure you'll survive. But when the world is returned to you, it's really beautiful. It's just, you don't take it for granted, you know, and after that really tough depression, the year I turned 40 and when the beauty came back, I remember that first day at the farmer's market where I actually like smell the mint and the basil and have a uplift in my soul again, you know? I remember I, I saw this meditation cushion that was this beautiful blue and I could feel this like, you know, when you're, something just jumps up in you, you know, you feel that's the rebirth part of living with this illness now for 26 years or so. Even when you're treating it, you do still have that cycle. And, but uh, the wonder and the beauty becomes uh, richer. You certainly don't take it for granted. And, so that's the, at the essence of all of this deep dive is a deeper joy. You certainly brought it to us again here today. Uh, folks, remember, if you go to northernspiritradio.org, you can listen to my interview with Meg Hutchinson from back in 2012, and of course this one. And there's going to be some bonus excerpts off of this, because all that we've discussed and all the music shared is not going to fit in just 55-minute broadcast. So please remember to check that out on northernspiritradio.org. We end with all the wonder, all the beauty. What a way to end. That's perfect ending, I think, maybe. You've heard what I've said already, Meg, and I've felt it over the 11 years since I first got to know your music. I feel it even more profoundly now. Thank you so much for bravely and courageously with eyes and heart open going into this journey and sharing it with our listeners for Song of the Soul. Thanks for being here. Thank you for making space for such deep conversation. It's a real privilege. Her album just released is All the Wonder, All the Beauty by Meg Hutchinson, meghutchinson.com. We'll see you next week for Song of the Soul. It isn't how I pictured it, but nothing really is. It isn't how I pictured it, 
But nothing really is Midlife What a strange, strange time You build it up And you tear it all down I'm letting go Of everything That I've ever achieved I'm letting go Everything I thought my life would be Life was strange, strange time You build it up and you tear it all down You get out of the driver's seat And just enjoy the ride
The theme music for Song of the Soul is by Chris Williamson, and it is called Song of the Soul. Check out all things Song of the Soul on northernspiritradio.org, guests, links, stations, and a place for your feedback, suggestions, and support. Send your Songs of the Soul to me, Mark Helps Meet, via the info on our website, and join us weekly for Song of the Soul.